0: Previously on the Dying Message podcast. There's something in this hat. Oh
1: my. It's like a little peanut head with a grin. It seems maybe our podcast has been stolen once again. Oh wait, no, I do know those last few kanji though. It seems that this uh, calling card was signed by Lupin Third. Not again. Is it a clue to the murder? Is it a hint at the motive? No. It's Dying
0: Message, the detective anime mystery podcast. Welcome to Dying Message, where each week we watch detective anime along with a mystery guest, although the past few weeks we've been watching Phantom Thief anime as we try to recover our stolen podcast. And last week we got a calling card that tipped us off to the notorious thief Lupin Third, and so we watched the film The Castle of Cagliostro to look for clues. Now, how can a podcast be stolen, you ask? I'm your lead investigator, Noah Max Levine, here to tell you I don't have a good answer to that question, but I do have a really satisfying cup of tea. The movie, The Castle of Cagliostro, is currently available on Netflix in the US. I think everyone should definitely watch it. I mean, you don't have to. You can still listen to the podcast. We won't judge you. Uh, It's it's a lot of great action stuff, visual stuff. And it's an excellent movie that everyone will enjoy. Even babies.
1: Even babies.
0: (laughs) Especially babies. All right. All right, Michael. You are our resident anime expert, Michael Savitsky. You continue to live with me and watch a lot of anime. And we've been keeping regular listeners up to date on your Digimon saga since I first bought you one early on in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Before the pandemic, even, it was a graduation gift. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh. And then you just got a new DIM card for your Digimon Vital Bracelet uh huh, and a case to hold them
1: in. Well, the case was mostly because you can't get that DIM card any other way. How, how else am I going to raise all those Beelzebubons? Oh, so it's a Beelzebubon. <laughs> Can you tell the layperson just something about a beelzebub Various versions of a scary dude based name-wise on Beelzebub? I don't know. He's he's scary looking. He's got a rifle and a jacket and rides a motorcycle. Doesn't give a care about anything. Killed a leo Mon once, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe our our guest can help us with that when we come to it because if, he, if he's been reading up on medieval castles, maybe he encountered like a tapestry of uh, depicting the devil with a rifle. <laughs> what have you got for us today, Mike?
1: Uh, well, this entire movie took place in a made-up European country, so I wouldn't say it was rife with tidbits of Japanese culture and folklore, but uh, I did catch... You know, do you know what a, j- a jite is? A jite is... Without Googling it? <laughs> <laughs> a jite, isn't that um a move in ballet? Nope. Uh, it's a, <laughs> a, a classic Japanese weapon. Sometimes it's called a sword breaker or an armor breaker. I don't know that you can actually break a sword with it. Maybe you could. But it's, I don't know, it's kind of seen classically as a symbol of police in Japan, uh, and similar to the way you would maybe think of a baton, maybe. It's hard to find information about it. I know that Japanese police definitely used them during the Edo period, so like between the 1600s and 1800s. But these days, you just see them pop up in anime, uh, maybe as a sign that they're like an old school police officer who isn't like all corrupt and modern, but they're like a cool old school guy. So Zenigata runs around with one, and he had one in this movie. Yeah. Uh, When he was leading the charge, you saw him waving it around. There was actually a movie that focused like pretty strongly on it later on, like sort of a Zenigata focused movie. I think he inherited it from his father. I don't know. I like the idea of a trope of like the non-corrupt police officers in the U.S. running around with, (laughs) I don't know, like a bayonet. (laughs) Honestly, I I would never have even like picked up that this was a trope for like a symbol of Japanese old school police, except when I used, watched Yu-Gi-Oh! Five Ds, all the cops in that use cards that have these, and that's when I first like, oh, it's a thing. It's not just as any got thing. Kids that play Yu-Gi-Oh! Do not even know how much Japanese culture they're getting. They don't even know how much culture
0: they're getting. Speaking of culture, that reminds me of our guest that we have on this week. Really excited to have someone who can help us dig into this episode. Try to find our podcast and and. Have a great time along with it. Our mystery expert this episode is a comedian and writer, a hobby collector of 19th century antique prints who has half a shelf full of books on medieval castles. One time he infiltrated an abandoned factory. I've nabbed the thief. It's Drew Cramshack.
2: Hey, happy to be here. Good
0: stuff. Happy to have you here. So we were chatting beforehand. A mutual friend of ours knew that you had been reading about castles in your spare time. And you say you have like eight to ten various
1: tomes. Right. <laughs> I don't think you can read about a book in like a pamphlet or uh, like a little paperback. It's got to be like a thick book, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially with, with stuff like this, there's uh, I mean, I, I was sort of joking about, you know, there being picture books, but there are genuinely a lot of a lot of diagrams to these books if they're, if they're halfway uh, serious. Uh, I actually have one uh, behind me. The, the podcast listeners won't be able to uh, see it, but uh, medieval military technology second lots of lots of cool pictures in there but and footnotes so yeah, I think you're well equipped to to
0: help us go into what's going on here. <laughs> we should have also had you read up on Roman ruins and or at least Roman aqueducts and you know how those might degrade over time, but I guess we'll get to that eventually in line with the subject matter of our podcast, what is your? purview of anime uh
2: d- yeah very uh, very little i uh a couple jobs ago uh there was a guy who was really really into anime and and talked up a lot so i did see a couple things uh there was i, I distinctly remember there was one uh, so that took like the broader notes from like the godfather and uh, maybe Goodfellas, but but set in in uh, modern day japan and that was that was interesting but for the most part i just I've, I've had friends who, like, I hear about it secondhand. Like, I've stood downwind from people who've talked about Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> you know, that sort of that thing. That anime smell all over them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely, it's an interesting genre that I, I have, like, Almost nothing to so I was really excited to uh, to check this
1: out. Well, unlike some of the people we have on seeing anime for the first time, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, this isn't really what anime is like. This is a very <laughs> classic, ex- like a very very classic movie. So I feel good about it being one of your first exposures. I was shocked because when I was telling Drew about this, I was like,
0: I bet this is a- one of the top 100 anime movies, and I found a list, and it was only number
1: 56. Yeah, but who who came up with that order? A person or a group of people? If any Naruto movies appeared above it on the list, then that list is wrong. Well, you and I can go into
0: that some other time. (laughs) Back to Drew. (laughs) Um, Turning our attention to heist movies, thief movies, the gentleman thief trope in particular, which comes out of France uh you ever read these kinds of books movies i don't know where else it might show up if you are a true crime person who read about that
2: guy who jumped out of that plane that one time (laughs) uh yeah i mean like like a lot of people i've i've seen you know i've seen some of the like the james bond films um i've read a little bit of the 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 ian fleming uh novels a couple of them uh i have somewhere i'm almost positive i actually have a lupin Uh, anthology somewhere and I know I have a a guy Boothby who was the forerunner to Lupin he was the 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 English president of of, um, uh, Lupin like like late 19th century so yeah I've I've read a little bit of that stuff but not not too much but enough to see like the, the tropes and everything
0: it's interesting how much like I feel like the Lupin stories haven't really necessarily entered the U.S. Public consciousness of Americans, it's still huge in France, as evidenced by the recent Netflix series, and still huge
1: in Japan. I don't know about huge, to the degree like Sherlock Holmes is huge Anyone anyway. like you know about him, it's not necessarily like, yeah. they're not flying off the shelves. <laughs> it's huge in the minds
0: of people everywhere. There you have it. And based on those answers, I think we can predict what you might say when I ask you: Have you ever seen any thief anime or
2: mystery anime before? No, no, no. Just, just the, uh, just, just the Godfather one. But this, this was. I have th- read the Wikipedia page for this. This was this particular movie was like it was like John Lasseter's favorite, like one of his favorite films. And it's supposed to be Spielberg got Indiana Jones was was something based off of it. So it is it is very influential on in its
0: way yeah someone who liked this movie edited that wikipedia article <laughs> yeah i don't know because it's very favorable <laughs> yeah.
1: that sounds like the kind of thing that somebody says somebody d- did rather than like did steven spielberg ever say an interview yeah i totally based it off of this movie according to <laughs> the Lupin the third wiki mm-hmm. which we haven't really given
0: background on what Lupin the third is but i'm sure michael will hit us up with that in a second some guy named Mark Merlino, I haven't heard of him, gave a private screening of the film to Disney animators in Burbank. And they got copies of the storyboard and concepts directly from Miyazaki, who directed it. And that's kind of how it became an inspiration for Lasseter and others. And there's a clock a fight with in Batman the Animated Series in a clock tower that's supposed to be an homage. Hmm. So lots of influences. Um, Michael, can you fill in those gaps? Why, what is? It, where did this movie come from? What the heck is Lupin the Third? And
1: do you also want tea? Because this is pretty delightful. (laughs) No, I'm good. Uh, Also, you asked me if I wanted tea uh, before we started recording. Yeah, but
0: it wasn't on the podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, Lupin the Third, it's like a little bit of a big question, but it's pretty easy to sum up too. So (laughs) (laughs) Lupin the Third uh, originally was a comic strip slash comic series by a mangaka uh, with the pseudonym Monkey Punch, as he was widely known throughout his entire life. Basically about this, this half-Japanese, half-French thief, Lupin III, who's descended from Arsène Lupin of the classic literature and just his various exploits. And truly just, like, it's gone on for so long and the various degrees in which he's been depicted as, like, a hard-boiled criminal or, like, this noble, goofy guy. And, the like, like I feel like this is the most noble he was depicted at the time. Like, it was sort of a, a different version of Lupin uh but yeah he's always got his cohorts he's got jigen the marksman who's always got a, a revolver or a tank anti-tank rifle or something on him and we've got goemon or specifically Ishikawa goemon i want to say it's the 14th uh descended from the i don't really know anything about goemon like the the J- classic japanese character if he's based on a real person or is a literature person uh i could have looked that up, that up before but uh, a classic example of a japanese literary thief i guess uh, that he is descended from, and the the on again off again member of their team Fujiko Mine, who is like sometimes a girlfriend, sometimes a, an ex girlfriend, sometimes a spy. Sometimes she works with them against them, betrays them, betrays them again. It's the triple betrayal. Uh, and then yeah, we've got Zenigata, who's the member of the Japanese police slash Interpol, who's always chasing Lupin around, but mostly always helping him, at least in movies and m- more exciting parts of the story arc, in the TV shows. Their interests are brought together. <laughs> he is, you were very close, Ishikawa
0: Goemon the 13th. The 13th, okay. And here's what Wikipedia says on Goemon he was a legendary Japanese outlaw hero who stole gold and other valuables to give to the poor. He and his son were boiled alive in public after their failed assassination attempt on someone. And his legend lives on in contemporary Japanese popular culture, often giving him greatly exaggerated ninja skills. Mm, So he's much like Robin Hood, actually existed, but very exaggerated. Yeah. You know, I've been to the Sherwood Forest. (laughs) Find anything good there? I don't know. Mm. (laughs) Not really. Any other context you think that the uh, people listening need to know about this movie? So we mentioned it's in passing. It's directed by Miyazaki, who's more. It is
1: the directorial debut of Hayao Miyazaki. Previously, he had just worked in various aspects of animation for Toei. Uh, this is also the second Lupin the Third movie ever. It was made, what, 1979, I think, is when it hit theaters. What a year. So Lupin had been bopping around in Japan for probably something like five years in the form various forms of comic strips and uh, animation. Yeah, I was surprised to learn the movie didn't do super well
0: at the time, but it's very highly regarded now. I think it was confusing because, like you said, he's pretty soft here.
1: Like, he's not killing people. or. Yeah, I have read, like, the very first Lupin the Third manga like the very first ones where he uh-huh. was pretty much a creepy douchebag like very sneaky but pretty much always killing people and stealing stuff and sleeping Ugh. with everyone <laughs> how could he <laughs> let's, let's
0: turn our attention to this movie which is maybe about a castle <laughs> maybe <laughs> and this isn't the first thing to happen in the movie but because it's in the title we had seen this movie before and, and then we were watching it again to prepare for the podcast. This is only the second time I've seen it. You've probably seen it more, Michael. Oh, yeah. A bunch of times. So it's called The Castle of Cagliostro. And early on in the movie, they go to Cagliostro and they walk upon a castle. But that's not the castle, that's like a side castle. <laughs> The other castle. Of yeah, there's like broken. a good
1: castle and that burned down. And there's like the evil castle. And that's the one we care about. Which looks 10 times as huge and complicated. Yeah. Well, you don't know. It burned down. It might have been illustrious. We don't know.
0: What did you make, Drew, on the visuals of the the castles?
2: The one that the most of the action took place in, the one that was sort of on top of the, the, the rock outcropping and, and could only be connected by the bridge, the aqueduct. I, I just remember thinking that in... in Olden times, you know, most castles that were were overtaken, most fortifications, it wasn't through pitch battles. It was it was through uh, long sieges. And so when I saw that, I just kept thinking, like, it's got as, as we'll as we'll talk about. There's all sorts of technology protecting this thing. But I was thinking about for most of its existence, if you wanted to take this uh, again, very very intimidating looking castle out, you would just have to destroy the the, the bridge at some part of it, and then. Put a blockade and then just starve them out, and but it would have yeah. it would have been a very different movie if, if Lupin and his friends <laughs> just just very slowly over the course of several months uh, uh, starve them out.
0: <laughs> it wouldn't have
2: worked because
0: they had an aircraft. They had an autogyro. That's true. Yeah. I, well, that's I why I, for, for most of
2: the for most of its existence, yeah. The, again, the the true true the, the technology it had sort of trumped that. And I guess this gets to a larger thing with a very Disney tale, like like a darker Disney table, uh, uh, Disney world f- sort of fable to it. But also real violence, you know, to, to get what you guys were saying before that this movie has a lot of like cartoon physics to it. And people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Lupin's always like falling off of things and and, and and getting up and he's OK. But at the same time, like swimming up waterfalls. Yeah. But like, <laughs> people are really out to to murder him. You know, there, there is there there is blood. Than this,
0: so. Surprisingly not as violent as Batman the Mask of the Phantasm, which we <laughs> watched last year for the KidFlix podcast. Look, he didn't even know he was getting a shout-out. <laughs> so, circling back towards the beginning of the movie, very first thing they do is they have stolen some money. It's Lupin, just with Jigen, who I guess is his most common
1: companion. The others kind of come and go. Yeah, it's like... If you were to frame them as their like basic interactions, which is always framed a little bit differently, you would say that Lupin and, Go- and Jigen are a duo of crime committers. I don't know. Anyway, they're a duo. Goemon is like sometimes a mercenary, sometimes like the third part of their gang that doesn't really like them and doesn't hang out with them. Various sort of like offshoot stuff. And then Fujiko is always like much more aloof and not really part of the group. That That is a good question, actually, for Drew, which is... What what did
0: you make of the gang, and how easy was it to pick up on their various characteristics?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know. It it, it sort of seemed like uh, Lupin and and Jigen are were were sort of like a, um, a you know just a complementary double act. Like I almost thought of them as a, a much more serious, uh, potentially deadly, like Abbott and Costello or something. I I, I, <laughs> I saw them. You know, it it's it sort of in that that kind of uh or even like going all like going really far back and like pretentiously like don quixote and sancho posit you know two two people that that complement each other and able to get something uh done and then the, the 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 woman i just saw as kind of like a trickster figure you know she was just sort of there uh something that is is wanted and and something that's always girding the the two other characters in this case a, a head um but for unknown reasons so yeah I didn't know that they had like an on and off thing in in previous installments she's got like 12 agendas in this film (laughs) so
0: yeah this initial casino that they run away from they just run away from a bag of money um, the, these folks try to chase them, but they've like cut up their cars and they just all fall apart. And so they get away. <laughs>
1: Which Goemon wasn't around for this scene. So I was like, who cut the cars in half?
0: Maybe he did it and then <laughs> they he just left. just do it
1: slowly. <laughs> Look, here's the deal. If you've done a good enough
0: job cutting cars in half so they can't chase you, you go to a diner and you get a slice
1: of cheesecake. You're done. Mm. That's probably not correct for this time period in Japan. <laughs> for a piece of cheesecake at a diner? No, probably not. Also, I think they were in Monaco. The casino said Monaco on it, but it clearly wasn't the Monte Carlo. And I'm like, "Hey, okay, yeah, why would you have a casino and try to say this is in Monaco and not just do the Monte Carlo? I don't know. I imagine there are not any diners in Monaco, but maybe there's a place to get cheesecake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who knows? And then there's a lot of memorable images in this movie. But one of the great ones is just at the very beginning when they're in the car and the car is literally full of cash. <laughs> It's like a ball pit, but in a car and it's cash, Mm -hmm. but all the cash is counterfeit,
1: which uh, Lupin very suddenly notices the first time he looks at one of the bills closely because he's just that good. He's just that good Mm -hmm. while driving at at 70 miles
2: an hour picks up on a quick.
1: You would absolutely (laughs) be pulled over
0: (laughs) if you were in a car with this much money just because it's clearly not safe. There's got to be money under the gas pedal and under the brake (laughs) like his car was full. We now get to the opening, which I think is beautiful. The opening credits. Drew, what was your take on the music and the visuals?
2: Uh, yeah, it, it reminded it, it reminded me of like several different things. Um, it reminded me almost of a a song you would hear maybe in like a James Bond uh, movie uh, a little bit, but also something lighter, something from like nineteen sixties French New Wave, something from like Empires of uh, uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg or. Or something like that. So it seemed like it pulled from a lot of different points, and then just yeah, the the animation was yeah, very very pretty, like something out of a I don't know if this devalues it or not, but like out of like a, a role playing video game or something. <laughs> very, very very nice, very nice to look at.
0: Yeah, I mean, all throughout watching this movie, I was like, wow, this is really beautiful, and that's why I was harping on our listeners that you try to impress on our listeners that if you haven't seen this, you should just because it's so pleasant to watch and. Also, beyond just shots of, you know, the sunset, there's so much action that's hard to break down and describe, so... Yeah, it's mostly just them driving around. There's there's nothing like, it's not like an anime opening where there's shots of all the characters or anything.
1: Yeah, it's their slow cross Europe drive to the Principality of Cagliostro. Oh, yeah, we didn't uh, correct that. So why are they going to the Principality of Cagliostro, Michael? Uh, because Lupin has figured out that these uh, this counterfeit money they just stole are some of the legendary Gothic counterfeits, uh, which are apparently in this world. Uh, some notorious uh, counterfeit bills which have caused such incidents as the Great Depression and uh what was the other one they credited it
2: with oh i I think like the fall of napoleon i want to say
1: oh no that's right they said napoleon was funded funded by the gothic counterfeits yeah and i don't know if there's any truth to counterfeit anything having to do with either of those things Uh, i'm not a history person
2: no no i think yeah the the great depression that just the market was overextended and it wasn't so much what happened uh in 1929 but how they responded to it and then yeah as far as far as napoleon i I think he just was sort of like in the right right place at the right time. And, and the Habsburg empire was really weak and he was able to take advantage of that. Yeah. I, I looked into that too. Like just, just like, just to make sure <laughs> so I thought maybe, maybe, maybe they know more than, than uh, I think they do.
1: Yeah. But the, the main point is that in this universe, these counterfeits are very old. Like it's been going on for generations and they're very influential. And for the right. second time in his life, Lupin has decided to investigate them.
0: Right. We see later on, like, how lots of different countries and leaders seem to have um, done business here and not necessarily want to put the kibosh on this counterfeiting operation. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that the first time I've said kibosh? Is that the first time anyone has said kibosh on our podcast?
1: I don't know. I didn't write it down. <laughs> you know, we're, we're 50-something episodes I mean, Let me in. check my list of every word you've ever said on the podcast. Um, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Nope, I don't think so. First time. It's important for those dying message scholars out there. <laughs>
0: so they, yeah, he's going to go investigate, I guess. It's it's not clear exactly what he wants to do. Shut it down, steal the counterfeit money, just infiltrate a place that's hard to infiltrate. But he decides to go in. And they put on these silly disguises to get across the border crossing and then throw them away. That was pretty fun <laughs> the population of Cagliostro, which is the smallest member state of the un not really it's not a real place is 3500
1: mm-hmm.
0: and apparently half of them work <laughs> at this castle <laughs> because there's so <laughs> many people in there and a lot of people have come in to snoop about and they, those people they don't live happy lives because they are never seen again
2: and it's been happening just by the the the, the uh the dress of them it's been happening for like 500 years. It's just it, it's almost as much of an industry as keeping yeah. the town open it, it, itself.
0: Yeah, I love that, right? Like um Zenigata will get trapdoored and then oh no, they both get trapdoored through separate trapdoors and they both end up in it's kind of a sewer, it's kind of a tomb, it's kind of a dungeon together. The the bad guys are like, "Oh no, don't go down there. You just throw people down
1: there and leave them there to die." <laughs> I mean, truly it is like the most like Typical JRPG, <laughs> the the good guys have been kidnapped That's and they true. lost all their weapons and there's an aqueduct and then they fall down a hole and I'm surprised they didn't fight any slimes. You're right, like four Zelda games have passageways that are kind of the similar,
0: <laughs> like a long passageway with a trough of, of dirty water. Gee, I was mm-hmm. thinking
2: of there's a, the two uh, Mission Impossible movies ago, there was a scene very similar to that where he goes, he like jumps down through... <laughs> Uh, uh, like jumps off an aqueduct and goes down into the uh, thing of course he did like Tom Cruise did all the stunts himself and like like passed out halfway through and everything but of course
0: nice thing about an animated film is no one has to do stunts because some of this stuff is pretty dangerous (laughs) and of course they're just driving into Cogliostro when they have a chance encounter with the most
1: important character in the movie To be fair, like the odds of running into the most important person in the country are way higher if only 3,500 people live in the country. Like it's, not, it's less crazy. That's true. This, this might be <laughs> the only road. So it's a woman in a wedding dress who is
0: trying to drive and a bunch of thugs in a car are chasing her. Four very identical looking bowler hat thugs. They're not quite identical. We have like have different levels of beards and stuff. Mm, they're like similarly self-styled. There's a dress code somewhere. Correct. Um, and they trace him down. They use the turbo boost in their car. They drive on the side of a cliff. It's a pretty fun sequence. They get rid of the guys. They almost fall off the cliff together. He
1: uses, I really like this grappling hook gadget he uses. Yeah, they really they really were like, let's make sure we animate wires really well in this movie because everybody had a wire of some kind. But it looks like the grappling hook like comes out of like a
0: harness on his wrist. Mm-hmm. His watch, yeah. And then on his belt, there's
1: um, a crank which releases or pulls in the wire. And all I could think about was like, does it like if the wire is running like down your arm and down <laughs> your like, is it does it rub against you? Is it like inside a thing? I don't know. It seems like it would be uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. I could just say this, this particular scene was like when I first I was like, OK, this is like a sort of a James Bond-esque thing. And then that scene was like, oh, this is. Like if uh, Inspector Gadget was debonair and horny, this would be like that kind of. uh, uh, But like Inspector Gadget was like PG (laughs) thirteen, and there was like a real threat of like if the Claw got up and and was able to do things, this would be that that kind of show.
0: Inspector Gadget is part machine, so depending on which parts of him are
1: the machine, we don't know how horny he is. I forgot he was like
2: (laughs) he was he was part machine.
1: Are we contemplating whether or not Inspector Gadget has a mechanical dick? Is that what we're trying to figure out? I did not say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but that's another thing. I mean, Inspector Gadget would have been great here because there's a lot of times where just being able to turn your hat into a helicopter rotor and fly away would have been very useful for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Is that what Inspector Gadget does? His hat becomes
1: like the yeah handles out come hat. out and he holds onto the handles and then also a propeller comes out and he flies yeah. around. Yeah.
2: This, this is his legs too. Like he's able to like his his legs sort of like xylophone. Not xylophone. Yeah, the, the, yeah he's the, got like
1: the stretchy, stretchy legs, legs. Okay. the stretchy arms. He's got his not an, an improv phone where he holds his fingers like a phone.
2: But the torso is all mass. It's fine. Okay.
1: That we know of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I see. (laughs) Which means that he's able to love because he has a human heart.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So this woman who ends up being Princess Clarice, Mm -hmm. like kind of thanks Lupin,
1: but then men are coming after her and she gets captured. On a cute little steamboat. Yeah. (laughs) The uh, captain was willie listen just because that's about to enter into the uh public domain doesn't mean you can be jumping on it already <laughs> i'm jumping on it i'm
0: printing um temporary tattoos steamboat willie temporary tattoos but
2: don't, i think we're, we're good for oswald the rabbit i think that just went into just went out of copyright so if we want to make any oswald the rabbit jokes we're good.
0: perfect oswald the rabbit okay everybody don't forget that keep in mind and remember when to make that Oswald the rabbit joke that's just gonna sing the The important thing that happens here though is he has her glove and inside of it they find this signet ring with is it just supposed to be a goat on it because it looked weirder than a goat to me it's like a goat with a mermaid's tail isn't it sure
2: yeah I think so there was something on the lower half of
0: it the lower half was an inspector gadget xylophoning <laughs> legs <laughs> <laughs>
2: And it was wearing a trench coat. <laughs> Inspector goat
1: oh, no. oh, a sea goat is a legendary aquatic animal described as a creature that is half goat, half fish. It's a thing. In Japan? Uh, no. The constellation Capricornus was commonly imagined as a type of sea goat, da 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 originating from Greece, Israel, and or Mesopotamia.
0: I guess maybe Poseidon does have some kind of co- um, correlation with goats. I might be making that up. If you know about Poseidon and goats, can you please send us an email to dying at <laughs> at gmail.com? There we go. always got to work that in. So they encounter these first set of castly ruins, which every place in this movie is a place that I think would be incredible to go visit. Cause it all just looks so beautiful. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously the counts castle is very dangerous, so there's some concerns there, but these are beautiful ruins. Supposedly a burnt down just seven years ago. And the, since then, there hasn't really been anyone ruling over the kingdom because the prince was killed. There's just scenes upon scenes of him walking through beautiful architecture and, and landscapes. So does anybody else want to be the one to tell people to watch the movie this time?
2: <laughs> watch it. Watch it, folks. i had never seen a very anime before, and I, I enjoyed it.
1: You heard it from Drew.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Michael,
1: did you just mute your microphone for a second so that you could do something with your Tamagotchi? I wasn't cleaning up any digital poop. I don't know what you're talking about. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you wouldn't know if my microphone wasn't glowing red that I had muted it for a second. (laughs) Yeah, it stopped glowing. (laughs) Don't be observant. (laughs)
0: So, this was the first thing in the movie that I was like, I do not know what the correct name for this thing is. Because they walk to, it's like a pagoda, but, cir- but small and circular in the middle of a pond. And I wanted gazebo? to gazebo? Is, is it just a small gazebo? <laughs> is it not a gazebo?
2: Yeah, I, I assumed it was a gazebo. I mean, there might be a more art history term for it. But that's why I thought
0: it's it was. Like just like a little round gazebo. Because I don't know, I think of gazebos as angular, but I guess that's fine. It turns out to be a very important gazebo, but we'll come back to that. There's also a clock tower that they go to. And from the clock tower, you can see the castle of the Count of Cogliostro, which is out over the water. And boy, if this is so much better than the Prince's castle. You mentioned some of the features. It's got aqueducts going into it. It certainly has got turrets and parapets and towers. We don't see any murder holes, but it probably
1: has a murder hole. <laughs> <laughs> There's murder holes all over this thing.
0: Yeah, it could be like a Disney castle. It's definitely like they want it to look like a super fancy European medieval castle shindig. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say I think they. I, and again, it's, it's it's Wikipedia, so you're never sure. But I thought something I, I read about it said that they had studied Naples and and, mm. and maybe a particular castle there. But I looked into it, I don't see anything like that. You know, uh, surrounded by water um Mm -hmm. the the one actually made me think of is there's a a a castle on the island of rhodes uh, off the coast of of greece and it was a a castle that was defended uh, a couple times against the ottoman empire in the 15th and 16th century and it kind of it's not nearly as pretty as that but um, the one side of it's like right off a a sheer cliff face so it's like oh it could kind of be sort of like that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: there's this one castle that's like usually underwater these days but every once in a while it's like not underwater and you can go see it. Hmm. This kind of reminds me of that like building a castle on the middle in the mi- surrounded by a lake or by a- it's not just a moat. It's like you could you could build this and do it artificially but um it's more than a moat. The castle of Cagliostro, more than a moat. <laughs> so we also start to learn about Lupin's past relationship to this castle. He came here 10 years ago when he was just young and inexperienced and we actually see that later on that he got all the way in and he was fleeing and he was shot and injured and he was rescued by a very young Clarice who was 6 years old and her dog at the time. I'm mm-hmm. s- doing things out of order but that's okay cuz we don't need to yeah. s- we don't need to sprinkle the backstory in like it's parmesan cheese <laughs>
1: over the top of um a baked potato. You could have picked anything. (laughs) We're just about to come upon a great depiction of spaghetti and meatballs. You could have picked spaghetti and meatballs. All right. We don't have to (laughs) sprinkle it throughout like it's
0: Parmesan cheese sprinkled on top of chicken soup with rice. Yeah, I knew you'd say something weird. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we see the count go by in his auto gyro. I don't know if this... I don't think this would be a functional thing in real life. Miyazaki seems to have something about flying machines, right?
1: Because he has Porco Rosso. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he loves flying machines. There's many various, uh, I guess, flying contraptions of more and less realistic uh, depiction throughout Miyazaki films. I was trying to remember if he was the one who directed the movie that was like about the old Japanese planes or not. The Wind Also Rises? The Wind Rises. Yeah, that's directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Yes, The Wind Rises was directed by Hayao Miyazaki, and that's all about like one of the main Japanese planes developed for World War II. Uh, so he's got like a thing for aircraft. So I guess The Wind Rises is a prequel to Hemingway's book
0: because it's The Wind Rises, The Sun Also Rises, and then it's like uh, someone should write a book, Even The Moon Rises. <laughs> But this autogyro, I thought
1: it's like a plane, but it has a helicopter top. Yeah, and this one in particular, the helicopter propellers had like a rocket on them that spun them around faster, I guess. <laughs> Which is probably not how any actual helicopter has ever worked,
2: but I don't know for sure. Yeah, some of it like a, it was like a kinder, gentler steampunk. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Well, that, that thing you were just describing, Michael... So, autogyros are also known as gyroplanes or gyrocopters. And yeah, we distinctly see that they have little rockets that turns them. Oh. According to our good friend today, Wikipedia, an autogyro is a type of rotorcraft that uses an unpowdered rotor in free auto rotation to develop lift. So, I think the idea is you're moving forward, which is causing the rotor to spin on its own, which gives you lift, which is not Hmm. how that
1: thing in this movie worked. So, someone write Miyazaki a letter. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: well, maybe that's just how it starts up and then once it gets moving it doesn't need them anymore. You never know. Sure. Enough about the autogyro. Yeah. <laughs> My notes for this film
0: are such a mess cuz th- there's just so much that happens and a lot of not not a ton of hefty dialogue scenes.
1: Mhm. But yeah, the uh the person arriving in the autogyro at the castle is uh, our first introduction to the count of Cagliostro himself. Uh, who I don't think this was the intent of this of this scene. But for me, it's like, oh, rich asshole, because he's just walking and the butler's like diving around him and like undoing his shirt and changing his clothes. And and he's just walking and he doesn't have to stop to change his clothes. And I'm like, what a rich a-hole. We're not supposed to like him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We see that the princess is being kept up in a tower. Anybody heard of Rapunzel? And there's like a... Nope. What is that, Noah? (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry, it's a Disney property these days, so I can't tell you about it. Okay, that's fair. There's a retractable bridge, which connects and disconnects. We also meet the governess,
1: who is maybe someone else in disguise. Yeah, I was trying to remember while watching this, if I the very first time I saw her, I was like, it's Fujiko. Or if I was like, not until later in the film, I'm like, oh, it's Fujiko. The governess is, is Fujiko in disguise. And yeah, we get yeah. we meet some of these
0: characters. So let's talk about the Count and some of his people. So the Count...
1: Has a mustache. Mm-hmm. He's kind of got a squat, squarish face. He's very square as a, as a person. And I, I think tall. Tall? But the only blonde guy, too, in the, in
2: the film.
1: Yeah, he gives, he gives us blondes a bad name. Oh,
0: well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to trick people into thinking you're blonde.
0: It's a podcast. I can do <laughs> what I want. <laughs> the, like, Netflix thumbnail is him in his end of movie outfit which is this weird goat hood that he puts on for the wedding. Mm-hmm. It's like a hood with the goat on it, but for me having watched the movie one time and then like seeing that thumbnail on Netflix I was very confused cuz he spends much more of the movie just being this blonde angry guy. Mm-hmm. Not really angry, stupidly confident, I guess.
1: Yeah, uh, he's pretty angry considering he like he walks into this uh this tower where he's keeping his actual niece that he plans to marry. Uh, <laughs> his juvenile niece and she doesn't have the ring that he wants her to have and he like almost he like contemplates strangling her in her sleep like his hand gets all clenchy it's no good. So this, this scene does a very good job of just introducing this character, letting you know a little about who he is and ensuring that you do not like him. I don't want to talk to him about him anymore. Let's talk about Jodo. Oh, the butler. Jodo, I think. It's like Godot, but with a J. Or at least that's how they subtitle it.
0: He doesn't look super... Unique, but he leads the secret army of not ninjas because they're European mm-hmm. who have such a unique and strange character design. And he also is one of them because he'll also put on the outfit and go in the disguise and go around and try to murder people. They're dressed in like black ninja suits almost. Mm-hmm. And then on their arms and hands, they have like suit of armor, gloves and greaves with long, pointy, sharp Fingies? Finger points. <laughs> and there's like tons and tons of them that just move about in big groups and break
1: out into song and dance. Yeah, they're definitely ripping more off the uh, Japanese idea of an assassin, but trying to give it like a European feel. Yeah. And so he's one of them.
0: And and he also apparently maybe runs the counterfeit co- operation. He does all the stuff that the count wants
2: him to do. Yeah, what the, uh, the ninjas actually reminded me of was like, um, sort of like, Proto Shredders of the Teenage Ninja Turtle franchise event. Of it actually makes more sense that uh, uh, if the Foot Clan just looked like Shredder, but but you know slightly smaller, I, <laughs> would, and, and if the ninjas were Foot Clan were for uh, uh, for him, and also was he supposed to be like hunched over, like a hunchback, or was that just the way he was drawn, Jigon G- or something? Because he's, he's got like really big shoulders. I could never tell if he was like standing straight up or if he was.
1: I think he's like, it's like he's a little squat or like he's always bowing down because he's so subservient. I, oh. I don't think it's necessarily a full-on punchback choice, but oh, it's, okay. he's got like a thing. He does yeah. stand with
0: his feet together and so his body shape reminds me of like one that Red Looney Tunes character thing, like the hairy one. You know what I'm talking oh. about? Mm. Yeah. I don't know what it's called and also I, I would also just describe he, he has a carrot body type. <laughs> Like, it's skin, it gets
1: skinnier and skinnier down towards the bottom, but kind of uh, round at the top. Also, his complexion is, like, not even just a little bit green. Like, he <laughs> doesn't look healthy. Um, You were talking about the spaghetti, and actually, <laughs> why don't... Drew, I don't
0: know what you're up to, but I think we should just pause the podcast and, like, find this place and go eat there. Because I was ready <laughs> to go. It's like a little European pub-style place where they're being served spaghetti... Even though this country is not quite Italy, don't don't you think it's supposed to be Italy? <laughs> don't you dare! And yeah the the drawing of the spaghetti, Gigant ended up taking a lot of it. I think, but it looked it looked fantastic. Miyazaki's good at making sure food looks tasty in movies. I mean, all of us, if we were in, in sent into the plot of Spirited Away, would have been turned into pigs. Is all I'm saying, because it's there's like a, it's like the thing where there's a feast out and her parents eat the feast and they turn into pigs. That's how Spirited Away starts. That's a good one.
1: Oh, it's that thing where the parents <laughs> eat food and turn into pigs. You know, that classic trope. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I, I did like to see that he was like they, they were eating something. It's nice to see like cartoon characters doing like normal human things in between the in, in between the action.
0: It, it It was. And also they were like openly talking about their plans just in front of the waitress and in front. they knew there was a spy <laughs> spying on them, but they let it happen. Um on the ring, there's I think it said with light and shadow as one once more, it will surely be restored. And it was dated fifteen seventeen. So who knows what that's about? And, yeah, everybody in town is just gearing up for this wedding, which is coming soon. There's lots of tourists in town,
2: I believe fifteen seventeen is when. Martin Luther put the uh, the theses on the on the wall of so maybe this is this is like just the whole underground thing for the, the Protestant Reformation coincidence <laughs> yeah yeah
0: well who funded Martin Luther
2: the the Gothic, the Gothic bills, bills.
0: <laughs> you know in that day and age was it after was it pre Gutenberg that's right around when Gutenberg was inventing stuff uh,
2: yeah yeah j- just just after that, that I mean that, that's that's how he was able to get out so many of I his see. tracks so quickly I think Gutenberg was like. 14, 1480s. Well, how, did he, how could
0: he afford a, a printing press?
2: This is how ink the ain't bills. cheap. Yeah. <laughs> he was not eating like the characters in this film. I'll tell you that.
0: And they get attacked at night in their mm-hmm. hotel room. I, I like in that scene before they get attacked, Lupin is doing chemistry. I don't know if we see exactly what he's putting together, maybe one of his explosives later on, but he prepares. I
1: assumed he was making the, the firework. Because it looked like he was like doing a little explosive something. The thing he was going to use to get to the to the tower before he didn't. <laughs> yeah, something he doesn't end up using.
0: And they're attacked by these ninjas. And it's pretty, I would not want to be attacked by these guys. Let me say that. There's tons of them. Their, their gloves are very sharp. They'd be great to mow down in a video game. That's for sure. Yeah, they're very samey. But they escape. They
2: escape. Yeah. I was also thinking too, like, what is the, again, was this, is this something like, were they, were they built somewhere? Like how much are they, how much are they man or machine? Or is this something like, Hey, come, uh, come work for the, for the count, you know, don't yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just, <laughs> <laughs> just sign a, an NDA and, and, you know, you're, you're on your way. I just, I was like, I wanted to know a backstory about them.
1: Yeah. Well, we're to believe based on the, the little bits that they give us, that the, the Coglero like the, the regent, the count, his side of the family has been like the secret criminal underground part of uh, the the royal family, and they've always had like murder people and counterfeit bills and shady stuff. Clarice doesn't want anything to do with any of that. I'm gonna see if I can accelerate how 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 detailed we're being because boy.
0: Boy, if this would take a while at this pace, just because there's...
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're talking about a lot of the visuals, and that's fine, because they stick it's around. It's not anything anyone is doing wrong. So, okay, so in this early part of the movie, right, they get away. And the next thing that's going to happen is they put a plan into place to try to get Clarice out. And this is like the mm-hmm. middle third of the movie. Yep. So, first of all, we do see... Fujiko as the governess in a couple of these scenes where we see the count, we see her in the background. She eventually gets down and gets to take some pictures of like the counterfeit bills with her secret little brooch. She overhears the count talking about stuff. This is important because this is the first part of Lupin's plan. He Mm -hmm. had tucked into the back of Judo, one of his calling cards. Just like last week and the week before, what we're learning about these phantom thieves is they always send calling cards. They all have like a distinct icon. They want you to know they're coming. Mm -hmm. So he says, to the count of lust and greed, I'll be taking your bride. Expect me soon, Lupin. They team up with Goemon. He comes in. And the other thing that happens is Zenigata arrives. So, Michael, you were saying Mm -hmm. Zenigata is, he's the one that's always trying to track down
1: Lupin. Yep. His rival question mark they're always chasing he's always chasing him he never catches him except when he does let him on purpose for some reason or other etc etc now i'm i am sorry
0: about this drew because in the last two shows we watched the inspector who was doggedly chasing the thief was romantically connected in some way to the thief themselves and that's something that i think improves any phantom thief story so in the first one one of the thieves is dating the detective and then the second one mm-hmm. one of the thief's
1: best friend is father is the detective so in short Noah, much like a, a large part of the internet population you also think that lupon and zenigata are banging that's what i was about to say i mean you can just <laughs> you can just imagine a romantic uh,
0: entanglement between the two of them
2: uh, with, with all this stuff they have between entanglement would be the, the the right the right word there <laughs> Yeah, we didn't
1: see what happened before the scene where they were both sitting in their underpants in the dungeon smoking a cigarette, but we can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to imagine. We
0: have the Internet. Mm. So right. Zenigata walks into the castle and he's like Lupin is on his way. Lupin, it turns out, is the one who called Zenigata and like warned him that Lupin was going to be here.
1: I don't know that that's the word that they used uh, I was actually curious about that. I think it's just implied that the reason he used the calling card was to get the police there like yeah. by announcing his crime. He gets the police chasing after him. I don't think he actually like called him, called him. He didn't like, hey, I'm here stealing stuff. Come, come get me. They're
0: pretty <laughs> unhappy to have Zenigata there and aren't really supporting him. Um, and as he walks around, we start to get a sense of some of the defenses in the castle, which, Drew, you alluded to. Um, so was it a thing in medieval times that they had um, automatic explodey lasers in their
2: castles? <laughs> no, no, they, 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 they did not. Um, <laughs> but uh, honestly, the other – well, talking about the, um, the dungeon, what I've read about uh, uh, medieval dungeons, they were usually – you know, obviously war was not happening, battles weren't happening all the time. Most of those were usually uh, used as storage space. You know, uh, they they were used for like you know extra weapons or even even documents. So uh, uh, they weren't necessarily filled with uh, um, you know skeletons and and barely barely alive bodies. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love the I love the weapons and and this. Like I said, that so again continuing that sort of like I, I guess steampunk is always connected to you know Victorian times, but but just that sort of connection between the the centuries, having all this very modern, crazy stuff in a in very old place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of clockwork, especially towards the end. Yeah, very. it's actually almost surprising, maybe, that with all the aqueduct stuff going on, we don't see anything being steam-powered. It is, But we do see lots of clockwork and then lots of modern technology mixed in. So Lupin is going to come in through the
0: aqueduct, and there's a whole sequence of how that works, some of the fun, cartoony stuff. Hmm. I do have to
1: say that when... Lupin was coming in through the aqueducts, and the parts where he like got pulled by the gears or got stuck in the water oh, wheel looked really painful. were giving me such claustrophobia. Like I was like, "Ooh, I can't." <laughs> uh, so Lupin pulls a gag here when he gets into the castle. What what gag does he pull? Well, for I don't know what number of times that he's done it, but for the nth time out of hundreds of times he pretends to be zenigata he dresses up as Zenigata, and he runs up to the guards and he's like that zenigata you just talked to is lupon and they all chase after the real zenigata and like to make matters
0: worse zenigata gets away from the fray and follows lupon into a a booby-trapped room and when the floor (laughs) collapses lupon hangs onto the ceiling
2: and zenigata falls into the dungeon where
0: he's gonna be for a while
2: but how far do we establish, like, how far down that, that is? Because I thought, like, oh, that's that's the end of that guy. He's clearly he's dead. but, you know. Right? I guess he...
0: You'd think they might even, like, put up Spike Pit or something at the bottom. Like, the whole rest of this movie could have been
1: prevented if they just engineered these death traps to be actual death traps. Well, they may be designed to be imprisonment traps. Maybe there's a slide, and we just don't see the slide part. And he goes down, like, his butt maybe got hurt. Or he fell in water, I don't know. He's, he's <laughs> fine. <laughs> that is a good point. Michael brought that up, I think, when Lupin fell later, Drew. When Lupin is in the tower and falls down the trip, that's much higher, because it's like the super high up tower, so you imagine it's like... <laughs> We've got some
0: questions for Miyazaki, is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we will be writing him a letter. So if you want us to say anything in your behalf on our letter to Miyazaki... If you want to be a part of that you can email us at dying at gmail dot com. now i don't even have to mention our email address at the end of the episode because i plugged it so much <laughs> you can also email us normal things mm-hmm. i'm sure he'll want to read this letter <laughs> it'll be fine it'll be great oh i'm sure i'm sure we will receive a real genuine response
2: from him yeah all i'm saying is like when oswald the rabbit used to get hurt like you would you'd feel it you know you'd notice something Mm. yeah there were real consequences
0: in those days of animation. <laughs> uh, that was great. And Lupin is infiltrating the tower. First of all, he like climbs up a, a wall just with his bare hands. I It's the kind of like big stones that might have cracks, but He really just looked like he was sticking to that wall like Spider-Man.
1: Channeling some of his monkey-like energy.
0: He has a firework, which is supposed to propel him onto the other tower because
1: there's no... It's not supposed to propel him. Uh, It's very small. It's supposed to propel a wire, like his grappling hook. that makes sense. (laughs) It doesn't matter because it doesn't work. And he falls off
0: the roof, but then jumps really far like he's a superhero. Yeah, he jumped very far.
1: He's got long gangly legs. That's the trick. I think we even do see him do a video game style double jump, which doesn't actually make sense, but <laughs> who's keeping track of how the physics works in this movie? Have there been any good Lupin the Third video games? I haven't played one. I don't think so. There was maybe one game. In like, I feel like there was maybe an SNES game that wasn't any good. Oh, there was like a PS2 game. I remember that wasn't any good. This is a pretty long list. The most recent one was a Nintendo DS game in 2010. Hmm.
0: There's a game for PlayStation 2 called... This translates it as Lupin the Third, Lupin is dead, Zenigata is in love. With Lupin the Third? (laughs) There's stealth gameplay and inspector gameplay. It does not look like they get married at the end, so we won't put it on our list. Hmm. Okay. So in Clarice's tower, he is like, I'm going to get you out of here. She's like, you can't. But He insists he's very charming he does a magic trick and he's also he also says my target is a treasure that an evil sorcerer locked away in the tall tower it's you clarice
1: i'm gonna steal you (laughs)
2: just in case you didn't get it
1: he also says some line about her being descended from the goths and i'm like oh poor clarice she comes from goths just hiding all her hot topic (laughs) t-shirts trying to change. Um
0: when when he did produce that flower and give it to her, it reminded me of last week because he also produced a flower that he gave to his girl person. Oh, he did. But that was but he's also a magician, the one from last week. Mhm. It doesn't work. We're not far enough in the movie for this to be successful. The main thing I pulled out of this scene was that the count has like the counterpart ring to the ring that Clarice has. Mm-hmm. One is red and one is green, I think, and
1: they're like our mirror images. They actually, they keep doing this thing where it's like the second he can possibly get his hands on the ring, he like joins them together, you know, tries to join them together, but he's like, it's, or it's a fake ring or uh, like in this, this scene where he goes to join them. And it turns out the ring that Lupin returned to Clarice was fake, but like every opportunity he's like, I just got to put these effing rings together. And then immediately after this scene, right? No, they don't get the ring back, do they? that's right Lupin still has it he doesn't get it back until later yeah
0: yeah so Lupin had given Clarice the thing back then he gets trapdoored and it it turns out the ring is a fake and that's super fun I mean you knew it was going to be a fake (laughs) so Lupin and Zenigata end up in the sewer area they find a dead Japanese guy and I guess are just kind of respectful of someone from their country that had come here before um they spend the night together it's it's hot we hot. can't describe it <laughs> you'll ha- you have to watch this movie
1: it's really good <laughs> for other reasons for other reasons and of content that's actually in it <laughs> not just what we pictured in our minds uh, i don't put that on us <laughs> we've talked about some of the
0: history that comes out at this point this is where they reveal the great history of what the gothic bills are and what they were used for fun fact about the gothic bills and I think the two thousand dub, they called them goat bills. Oh yeah, I remember that. Because they're like, oh, it's a goat, and the word they're saying sounds like goat, so they're these are goat bills.
1: Um, what do you think you can buy with goat bills? The food that you give to animals at a petting zoo. You put a goat bill in, and you turn the crank, and you get a pile of stinky stuff that your hands are going to smell like for the rest of the day.
2: Yeah, yeah. I feel, whatever it is, I, yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where you. you... You pay money, to, like you exchange it for uh, your regular money for the goat bills, and then you just feed it back into, it's it's sort of like script, you know, you're just feeding it back into the same place. Mm-hmm.
0: Is the goat bills like you just feed it to the goat and the goat just chomps on it? Goats famously eat paper, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they are depicted as such. <laughs> I don't know if there's any truth to that. I've never met a goat. well the 2000 dub was an improvement on the 1992 one which i don't think we've mentioned yet but i think i learned this on the podcast which was that originally when lupon the third was first some of the stuff was first aired in the u.s there was some rights issue and so they used to call the character wolf Mm. wolf
2: that's i think that really works for well actually i don't know i guess based off of what the character was in other iterations i guess that wolf would make a lot more sense
1: yeah, he's not quite so wolf-like in this movie. <laughs> so they are going to escape
0: together. Oh, yeah. Does someone want to describe this trick, the next
1: trick that they pull? Oh, the corpse puppets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the the ninjas come in their, one of their three spectacular outfits that they have in this movie. This is the second of their spectacular outfits. We, see, we talked about the... The spiky gloves. Now this is their frog suits where they go through the aqueducts and they look like frogs. They still have spiky fingers. They still have spiky fingers. So it's not like quite the Mario Brothers 3 fantasy I asked for, but it was fine.
0: Your birthday's coming up. Wait wait till then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, we see we see what's very clearly not Lupin and Zenigata because it's them laying there, but you can't see their heads and they're not moving. So you're like, there's something going on here. But they were kind of moving. Hmm. Oh, I guess one of them was like, like <sighs> just, but you couldn't see their heads. So True. if you've watched a cartoon, you know something's gonna happen. But yeah, they go to murder them with their stabby fingers, and it turns out they're just uh, skeletons in their clothes on puppet strings, and that's fun. And they beat the crap out of them in their underwear.s And Lupin in their underwear like goes swimming in his underwear.s to to follow someone and
0: chase him, track him down, and they pop out of the hole and throw Jado and in, in there and trap him for a bit, which gives them enough time. For Lupin to get up to... Cl- oh, for both of them to get up and they steal the autogyro. So They're flying around in this plane. And Lupin's like, I got to go back for Clarice. Uh, meanwhile, Fujiko is with Clarice and she's trying to make her get away. So everything kind of comes to a head during the fake action climax of this movie. Because <laughs> this is pretty exciting and pretty
2: climactic. Yeah, was that the scene where the, 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 the plane looked like it was going to crash at any, any second but then it was like still like it went away for a second <laughs> I thought it was going to crash in the water and then like it came back like yeah. a half a minute later <laughs> like, it sure did, did. Do that?
0: <laughs> the thing about an autogyro versus a helicopter or a plane is that it can actually function like a chicken What for, <laughs> the, for five minutes once its head is cut off <laughs> they also set like a bunch of counterfeit money and counterfeiting equipment on fire which caused a bit of a distraction mm-hmm Lupin and Clarice are trying to get out. They all end up on the roof. Lupin gets shot and almost falls off. And then there's a big showdown with the Count, and Clarice gives him the ring. I think it's the real ring at this point. And meanwhile, Fujiko and Lupin jump onto the plane when Zenigata comes back around with the very
1: damaged plane. At this point, it's kind of like a glider because it just starts going lower and lower and lower. Yeah, this is the point where I was like, you've been trying every opportunity, the two rings, you thought they were in the same room. You were like, I need to put these rings together. But like now he has both rings and he's like, I'm just going to wait till the marriage. I'm going to save the ring linking for marriage. I could spend 20
0: minutes talking you through all the things that happen here because there's a lot of fun beats like when she throws that chair against that window and the chair breaks. Mm-hmm. But just watch just watch the movie. Why are you listening to mm. a podcast? Just watch a movie.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> wait, <laughs> come back. I went too far. <laughs> Dang it, Noah, they, they just deleted Spotify. Noah, look what you did. Don't listen to us talking about this movie. Just go watch it. <laughs>
0: you're in a car, you're on your commute. You're right, okay, fine. We'll do the podcast for those people that are in a car on their commutes. Thank you. <laughs> and also, I don't know, astronauts.
1: But yeah, to to sort of cut through the, the muck of some of the slower stuff that happens here, Lupin is now in recovery because he was shot and he's like remembering what happened. And we learn more about the back history that we talked about before. And he's like healing up because the marriage is now like he's passed out for three days and the marriage is like today and he's got to do something about it.
0: Good job. Also, Zenigata is trying to get Interpol interested and they're like, nope, we can't do anything. <laughs> And it's pretty clear that a lot of the countries have interests in this not being exposed sort of things. So Fujiko gives Lupin a note about the archbishop who's going to be officiating the ceremony. And she also calls Zenigata and is like, hey, Lupin's going to attack the wedding. And you have the authority to go to the wedding to try to catch Lupin. So she helps them both out. Mm -hmm. There's a, a scene where they like, Clearly, maybe
1: kidnap the actual archbishop, but it's never explained or resolved. Well, that's no, it is resolved. Do we see they just keep it? They just keep it, they just keep it on the down low. What happened? But yeah, what happened? Well, in the marriage scene, the archbishop was Lupin the whole time, right? But what happened to the original archbishop? Is he dead? I don't know, he's in a box somewhere. Who cares? They
2: they pushed him down one of the the 45 trap doors they have in that place. (laughs)
1: Yeah, um, we haven't discussed
0: the gardener character, but he helps out, he's a groundskeeper. That's it. It's a helpful groundskeeper. Well, here's an interesting thing. He doesn't have a name in the Japanese version of this film. He's the gardener. Mm-hmm. But in both of the American, the English dubs, they gave him a
1: name. It is a little strange for how much he shows up. They're not just like, hey, it's Josh. Hey, Josh. <laughs> in the original 1992, they called him Walter. And
0: then in 2000, they called him Christopher.
2: Walter Matthau and Christopher Plummer in
0: for
1: the French version he's just the gardener. He's not super important, he's just still like he used to be a servant for the old castle before it burnt down, so he's like loyal. And I also he has Clarice's dog too. Anyway, back to the present. I'm there's
0: a wedding. Before the wedding, we get one of the most ominous scenes in any animated film of all time, which is the Guard people have now put on these black hooded robes. Oh, yeah. They're all Klu Klux And they're walking around with swords with the Count.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't like to say nice things about villains. You know, I feel weird when people are fond and over Loki and stuff like that. Although he's come around, you know. But he, this guy has got an excellent cape. <laughs> Noah likes capes. <laughs> Purple on the outside, bright red on the inside. It is happening.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, He's also got really good taste in art. I don't know if you guys noticed, like, the paintings behind him when he's (laughs) first introduced. He's he's got, like, the the Bellini that's in the National Gallery in uh, London. And there's Mm. uh, Jacques-Louis David, uh, Oath of the Horati. In another scene, you only see, like, part of it. But I I, I always kind of wondered, like, is that, like, the actual paintings or...
1: Oh, yeah, that's where the real ones are kept. Don't you know about the gothic counterfeit paintings that are actually in every museum? (laughs) All right, Drew,
0: Michael, does anybody else have anything nice to say about the Count before we close Uh, the book
1: and on this? uh, Uh, No, I don't like him, so I don't have anything nice to say about him.
2: I'd like to see more of his paintings, but that's it.
1: So,
0: yeah, they're like processing through the dark corners of this castle
1: with these giant mm-hmm. swords in these hideous terrible ominous outfits yeah and they, they do the the anime thing where they let you know that the character has been entranced or drugged etc etc by just not drawing the pupils in their eyes you know that thing where you're drugged and the black part of your eye just disappears Which character that's what's happening Clarice really yeah they did they it was just the the color part of her eye without the black in the center
0: oh because she was
1: drugged well, we haven't gotten there yet. I was going to mention there's all these guests that have come in, mm-hmm.
0: and the guards, like, stand and surround the guests. I would not want to be at this wedding. It's terrible. Yeah, it looked very uncomfortable for, like, the event of the year. Yeah, I didn't realize
1: that she was potentially um, drugged. Yeah, that's Because they when said. they get to the... Oh, or, who did? Well, at, le- at least what Lupin said was, you've made it so she can't talk, haven't you? Which implies that they <sighs> drugged her. Right, because they're, like, they, they did a reverse
0: wedding where you get divorced no where instead of saying if you consent to this marriage say i do they said if you have any objections to being married clarice (laughs) please speak up and it's like excuse me (laughs) (laughs) that's not how this should work Mm. i also want to mention someone who's clearly Fujiko is here as a TV reporter. Mm -hmm. And as things start to get crazy in a second, she just defends her TV camera footage with a wrench and a gun and all sorts of crazy stuff.
1: Well, they're all part of their plan to keep the live broadcast going so that if they can't get uh, any actual evidence to shut these guys down or the police won't move, they'll just show everybody what's going on. Drew, how does this compare to weddings you've been to?
2: Uh, you know, it's, it's a little, a little more boisterous, a little louder, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it was good. I, it was funny. I, I really, uh, not appreciated, like, well, I, I actually, I did, I did kind of like it where there, there was a Lolita reference. I don't know if you guys caught that, which was kind of a weird, weird, I, I they accused him
0: of being a Lolita. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah,
2: like, I think Nabokov had died a couple of years before this came out but like, i didn't realize that was like that much of a cultural touchstone i think they did like one movie in the 60s early 60s uh so i was like oh wow that's a really i mean uh, like an obvious reference i guess now uh now that there's been a number of adaptations and everything but i was like oh wow that, that kind of yeah. came out left field
0: well this subtitle track is probably fairly new I mean, we don't know when the subtitle track was made but i would say mm-hmm. probably in the last five ten years is ah, when gotcha. it was okay, subtitled. Yeah, and and neither of us could probably tell you what he says in Japanese there.
1: In Japanese, there is a term that they use, uh, Rorikon, or Lolicon, which is literally like just a word they use to accuse somebody of being a pedophile, or like being into young girls. They don't always conflate it with pedophilia. It's weird. We won't go into that today. Yeah. Or hopefully ever. (laughs) Mm, That's all we need to say about it. Yep. So he may may have said that. I didn't clock it. Well, I was going to say one more thing, which is that
0: in the Lupin the Third wiki for this movie, they say that guarding the castle of Cagliostro, quote, it also launched a brief period where Clarice influenced the lollicon boom. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know,
1: not the best part of this movie's legacy, perhaps. No. Moving on, moving on. You think they... Had a good party lined up. Oh, probably not. Did you see the food <laughs> that they had at the feast? It was like there's a, a rectangular pie with a pig's head. And I was like, if you're, mm. why would you serve? I get serving a no, whole no, roast no. pig because it's like iconic. But like, if you're going to serve like a pork pie, don't put the fucking head on it. That's creepy.
0: <laughs> As the wedding is taking place, all of a sudden the th- altar thing gets sliced in half. That's Dr- Drew is like a classic. Goemon thing, like with the cars getting sliced in half at the beginning. He has a blade that can cut through anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay,
0: <laughs> just trust us.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh wait. Oh, okay. So, well, is that the? Uh, am I going too far? Is, is that where he comes out and he like slices the, um, uh, uh, like the, the cloth off of the uh, that the henchman, or is that uh, that's a little bit further? He does
0: that later, but first, like when the Goemon and Jigen and quote Lupin appear they like slice the altar thing in half and oh, the okay. big cross falls Oh, mm-hmm. okay, that part, yeah. so even though we don't see Goemon do it I would assume that was him with his sword because that's the th- like that's the kind of thing he does is slice things in half
2: yeah. yeah he seems like someone who you would want to have like brought into this like from the very beginning you know like he's sort like you sort of see him like tw- when I first saw him I'm like okay things are gonna get crazy and then he's like with the L- L- Lupin's friend like they're just like looking over the ramparts Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) they're at they're at the ready and waiting for a half of this film (laughs) that is similar to what it happens in the other movie where like he gets separated from his friends they wait for him and and then everybody's queued up and there's a big action finale Mm -hmm. but what i wanted to say is we don't know yet that he has replaced the archbishop though it's pretty obvious if you've been paying attention Mm -hmm. once the altar's cut in half like ghostly versions of Jigen and Goemon and Lu- they're holding up Lupon appear, mm-hmm. And Jigen even has fangs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very Halloween they're store. Dressed in probably some significant outfits. And so they they all run, the guards run and impale this Lupon with a bunch of swords,
1: but it's not really him. But fortunately, the Archbishop has protected Clarice from the various things that were happening. Yeah. <laughs> And the Archbishop is actually Lupin, so he whispers to her
0: that it's all okay. Mm. And then he opens up his cape in the way that like a flasher would open their cape. <laughs> Except he's not a flasher. He's filled it with fireworks.
1: <laughs> he's not a flasher. He's a priest. Big difference. He's not a priest. He's a thief. <laughs> Big difference. Uh, the TV
0: reporter reveals... Fujiko's earlier camo army outfit which we didn't comment
1: on when she changed from being the governess to like a camo army lady i wasn't so shocked when she took off her governess outfit and had camo underneath but then like in that same scene she had a machine gun and i'm like where was the machine gun under the dress (laughs) (laughs) actually earlier in the movie as the governess we saw her doing like
0: some stitch work She was making the gun. Oh, okay. So they split up. Lupin escapes with Clarice to like get out of the lake area and Goemon and Jigen have some fight scenes and shoot at people and cut the clothes off of people like Drew was talking about. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to the final clock tower fight. Lupin solves the riddle. She tells him something that, like a phrase that was passed down in her family and he realizes that the... Rings go into the eyes of a goat, which is up on the clock tower. And there's a bunch of clock tower shenanigans where there's lots of gears and you're jumping from gear to gear.
1: And Lupin is doing it while carrying Clarice, which is crazy. One of the random lackeys got smushed by one of the gears, and I was like, ooh.
0: And then they have another standoff on the big hands of the clock. It's, wait, what time was it?
1: Well, you can't, skip, you can't skip ahead, Noah, because there's this whole sword versus wrench fight on the, between the Count of Copyright, and Lupin, and it's like the most video game thing. Remind me very much of Mario 64, the clock tower stage, where they're just like jumping from gear to gear. Again, don't listen to our podcast. Just watch the movie. It's, it's hard to describe <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> Noah, stop it. <laughs> that's not how this works.
0: <laughs> if you must listen to the podcast we'll tell you about what happened well first i wanted to figure out what time it was i was it it's almost midnight that's very important it wasn't almost midnight i think it was nine fifteen oh. because the hands were perfectly flat
1: uh, Well, at this point they've also broken a bunch of gears so who knows what to what degree the clock hands are in the right direction but i guess that makes sense it could be nine fifteen. and the, you know the leverage they have over the count is that they know the
0: secret of the riddle And he wants to take Clarice, of course, and in the end, Clarice and Lupin dive into the water
1: and the Count goes up to the top and sticks the rings into the goat's face. Well, they didn't dive into the water on purpose. You also can't leave out the fact that the Count has secret rocket fingers that he fired at Lupin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're right.
0: I did write that, but it was a very long sentence, so I glooped over it. You can't just
1: skip rocket
0: fingers, Noah. What am I saying? I am saying you need to watch this movie. (laughs) There are rocket fingers. There are spaghetti.
1: There is a dog we didn't even talk about. A dog who has a name, but the gardener he lives with does not. Correct. The dog's name is Carl.
0: I've just paused for a moment to let that sink in. Mm-hmm. Once they're in the water, because they've dodged the rocket fingers. Thank you, Michael. That was important. Mm-hmm. And it would be a great, I think, menu item at a Lupo,n at a Castle of Cagliostro-themed restaurant. Rocket fingers? Yeah, it's like wings or something. So it's like spicy. Or chicken Chicken fingers. Spicy rocket fingers. Oh, chicken fingers?
2: Chicken fingers, yeah. (laughs) We're all
0: on the same page here. (laughs) Or it could be some kind of dessert with lady fingers, but hmm, that's not as good. So what happens when he puts
1: the rings into the eyes of the goat? His castle is fucked. (laughs) <laughs> it turns out the treasure was F your castle <laughs> More
0: importantly he's screwed Apparently it was a trap Because it triggers something in the clock Which among other things brings the hands to midnight Which crushes him because the two hands come together And he can't escape mm. Is that what you were expecting Drew? No 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 no
2: I mean I, I almost I mean between it going uh, uh, Down and between it going up I was assuming it like I mean it could, have, it could have just as well been a rocket ship I don't know I mean, they they can do anything. <laughs> They've already established that 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 time and space are their are their playthings in this in, in this town. So no, I was not expecting that.
0: I don't think. I think that really caught me off guard the first time I saw this movie. <laughs> the hands just going up and up and up and eventually crushing him at a distance. We don't really see, but like you know what
1: happened. You mm-hmm. can imagine. It's got smooshed.
2: There's just, there's a, a sound
1: effect though. I think too. Yeah, there's like a little or something like that right (laughs) like a little (laughs) (laughs) there is it was something like just ever so slightly comical and far away it
0: was weird they didn't want it to be they didn't want it to give you that icky feeling you might get in like a horror movie or a gory movie when you see someone be crushed Mm -hmm. they wanted it to be silly and kind of at a distance
1: oh like when we were watching what we do in the shadows last night and it was all like goofy and fun and someone's head got punched off and flew towards the camera. i was like (laughs)
2: spoilers
1: (laughs) that was nuts
2: the boxing match oh yeah Mm -hmm. oh you
0: you're 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 up to date on that show we still have to see the newest episode
2: which is a a court episode i think uh, yeah, that was the, the, guys, if you're not doing anything, uh, uh, I'm talking to the listeners now, watch what we do in the shadows. Turn this podcast off, watch what we do in the shadows. <laughs> okay. No, do it
1: after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Drew, you're great. I appreciate having you on the guest, but it is my privilege as, as host to tell people <laughs> to turn the podcast off. <laughs> If people want to watch what we do in
1: the shadows, they could leave the podcast mm-hmm. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but coincidentally, Drew just happens to be launching his uh, "What We Do in the Shadows" podcast. <laughs> that's, that's <fine. laughs>
0: what we do in the podcast? What what is? What would you name a "What We Do in the Shadows" podcast? What uh, we podcast in the shadows?
2: Yeah, yeah. What what we do in the, what we do in this pod? I don't know. Hmm. It's a, uh, I don't know. I, I'll I'll. I, it's a soft opening. I'll figure it out.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: So
0: there's a bunch of water stuff that happens now. Not that kind of water stuff. No way. Like a <laughs> a dam opens and water is rushing, it starts to flood the castle. The gazebo from before turns out to be the very top of a series of elaborate Roman ruins, mm-hmm. which looks beautiful. I want to go there. Yeah. I want to bring my leftover spaghetti from that restaurant. Important detail.
1: <laughs> and, have, and have a date in this, this Roman ruins. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it, it turns out that this is an ancient Roman city. And then when the Romans were forced out, they were like, well, you can't have our city. So they built a dam and they hid it underwater. And the Kekagirostro good half of the family knew about it. It was their secret treasure was this uh,
0: Roman ruins. It's actually a treasure for the whole world. And it's also a treasure too big for Lupin to steal, he says. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, like... Go to the British Museum. They were pretty good at stealing antiquities. (laughs) And then the film wraps up with this kind of cute little note. Clarice wants to go with Lupin to become a thief and he won't let her. And then he leaves and
1: Zenigata finally arrives. Uh, We see a moment where he's like trying to fight his inner pervert or inner selfishness. Yeah, she's like hugging him and he's like, nope. He has a little bit of a quandary where he's like, it's in my character to just go with this, but I won't. Let's just, sh- if you and I can very briefly act out the, like, not quite
0: the maybe necessarily the last two lines of the movie, but nearly so. I'm going to be Clarice and you can be Zenigata. Okay, all so right. Clarice said he he didn't even take anything. These are not exact quotes.
1: He didn't even take anything. And Zenigata says, That's not true, Clarice. He stole the most important treasure of all, your heart. Du, 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 du. that's the music from the credits
0: starting to play barf so drew was this a roller coaster ride or or what
2: uh yeah yeah i mean it, it, it was, it was fun. It's, like you said it's sort of it's a very like old classic story and and i enjoyed the as, as we've remarked on many many times already it's 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 very interesting uh very like fun visuals and uh yeah it had some had some surprises Three thumbs up yeah
0: it's it's got some spring in its step even after 42 <laughs> years <Yeah. laughs>
1: michael you you bowed your head in shame I, <laughs> at least i wasn't quite alive when this movie came out but. yeah exactly <laughs> I guess we've made some
0: comparisons, but is there any other like reference points we should make in relevance to this movie? Other things that it reminds us of certainly swashbucklers. Well, the thing I was thinking of was like Tintin.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Oh, it reminded me a lot of castle in the sky Laputa in terms of like the, the main antagonist in that movie being a lot like the, the count of Cogliro and the young girl character. And that being a lot like Clarice and having similar relationships We'll take your word for it.
2: It Reminded me of a couple things. Uh, There's a... So we we sort of mentioned Sherlock Holmes at the very beginning of this, and Mm -hmm. and Arthur Conan Doyle was known for... uh, Before he did uh, Sherlock Holmes, he was known for a series about a very uh, kind of selfish, debonair uh, soldier at large, a French soldier during the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, Of course, as soon as I say it, I forget... Uh, the exact, uh, 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 name? Pierre Girard, Pierre Girard, that's right. And they're actually five, I have a collection of them. They're, they're kind of, they're, they're fun. They're, they're not so much like heisty, but, but it's, it's, it's this guy who is, you know, always able to get out of, uh, scrapes and, you know, sort of leave the, you know, the guy shaking his, his, uh, uh fist, you know, whoever was chasing after him and he gets the girl or saves the girl or, or, what have you. And, uh, they're, they're pretty good.
0: That sounds like a uh, that sounds almost like a Scarlet Pimpernel kind of thing uh, yeah how did this line up with your expectations was it very different than what you were expecting or the
2: same uh, yeah I'd say I, I guess different uh, just just because you know I, I had really enough in to, to go off it for and I, I was I was happy with how sort of like I mean again as we talked about that there's definitely you know danger lurking around every corner in this, but at the same time, it's very light and airy and, you know, kind of, you know, sweet and, and, you know, really, you know, you're happy going down the primrose path of, of the narrative. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not, I mean, any movie from more than, I don't know, 20 years ago, like sometimes they might just go to a restaurant and eat food. These days, everything is like zip, zip, zang, last a minute, the Lego movie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. if, if you know what I mean.
1: I'm trying to think if I can think of any like modern anime films or series with this like similar sort of energy and like slow pacing. But nothing's immediately leaping to mind. Uh Evangelion 1.11. <laughs> Only in terms of the pacing.
0: <laughs> yeah. We, we just watched that recently. I liked it. I liked it.
1: I did. I liked it. <laughs> You don't have to like Evangelion, Noah. I'll s i liked it. <laughs> Lots of people don't. <laughs> so
0: Drew, I didn't ask you beforehand. Do you have anything that you want to plug?
2: Yeah, you know, not, not uh not really. Uh not not of uh not, not of uh, uh, my own personal uh nature.
0: You can plug it at something random, you could make a joke, or we can strike this from the record.
2: Uh I uh <laughs> you could decide if, if uh, you could use this or, or not but I, I i went to a antique store uh recently and i bought uh three issues of esquire magazine from the 1950s uh, 1955 1956 1957 and it was just it was uh really interesting to read the uh, the articles and the uh, uh the ads and and to see how uh people thought and how they assumed the advertisers think people thought, uh, you know, almost 70 years ago.
0: I wish we had the kind of influence to drive up the price for that on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> now that we know you have a few copies. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get their hands on Esquire 1956. Um. Oh, then the other thing is, I, I do want to circle back. Did we miss anything castle related that you were thinking while watching this? We kind of talked about it when we saw the castle, but medieval weaponry, because because you physically showed us a book on medieval
2: weaponry <laughs> yeah yeah no i uh, uh it was yeah i don't know i i kept trying to think as i was watching this i was trying to think of castle facts yeah connections to medieval stuff and i think they were mostly just uh uh you know they they wanted to show you know the outside of it they wanted you to make a big of a medieval castle i didn't see yeah i was hoping for yeah like you said some uh, ancient uh, uh, arms and armor. Like, I was expecting, a, you know, a, a suit of armor to come to life and everything at, at any moment. Yeah. But, uh, no, I can't I can't think of really anything.
0: It was interesting the enemies. We talked about their, like, sharp gloves. The way those were, like, ripped off of a suit of armor was kind of interesting, but totally not a medieval thing. Just a visual <laughs> reference they're making. The, Do you want 30 seconds just to talk about trebuchets? <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> I do that. you don't have to.
2: I actually, well, I, well, oh shoot, see, well, this, this is something that it, it won't make it in, but I, I just have to show you guys. So this, <laughs> I got this earlier this year. This is from a trebuchet. Uh, there's a place in Michigan called Fagan Arms that sells uh, old arms and armor and uh, different, you know, uh, uh, prints and everything. And this was supposedly found on the side of a um, castle. Uh, uh, that they think it was, I mean, they, they would manufacture, you know, millions of those things. So I got it for like 50 bucks or whatever. But no, no, I don't, I don't really have any like particular trebuchet stories, just, just that. I mean I you say that, but
0: you just you just shared one. Um, people couldn't see it. It was like a small round metal thing with maybe a crack down the middle is what I saw in the zoom.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah it had a, it had a crack on the uh, the side. It's probably about three pounds I use as a paperweight, but I mean these would be used to uh, you, know, you know just 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 break down you know very slowly any uh, defenses and ideally it would go over the wall and you know crack someone upside the head. What does it smell like? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it actually has no particular smell. I mean, if if this thing is as old as it is, it's probably you know 500 years old. Uh, so any mm-hmm. kind of smell has been has been leached out of it. It's the size of a large uh, chocolate chocolate egg yeah, it, it's it's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> that's a fun thing you could do. I don't know. I mean you'd have to figure out about not destroying it, but if you made like a food safe mold out of it and then you could make chocolate in the shape of it and launch it out of
1: trebuchets (laughs) you can make a latex mold they're not hard to make yeah i just don't know if that would damage something so old probably not metal i
2: don't know i could uh i could look into that yeah it's an
0: idea go to that (laughs) antique store and recommend that they take casts of things and make it all into chocolate because i think
2: launch it at people
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much drew um you knew you do know more about castles than we do and neither of you noticed because I, w- I didn't want you to notice i was distracted but i sent a few quick emails with the information we've gained and i'm hoping to get some leads on the whereabouts
1: of the podcast shortly i think Lupin the third will probably just return it once he finds out it's not worth anything uh, well who knows who <laughs> knows what could happen because we, we need to have our podcast
0: back and maybe i have thought of what's going to happen and maybe i haven't
2: oh <laughs>
0: so i want to thank our listeners We've made it pretty clear that like you could have a pretty enjoyable time by just watching The Castle of Cogliostro, but you've instead chosen to enjoy your time by listening to this podcast, and we really appreciate the time that you spend with us. You can help spread the word um, and let other people know that you value this, assuming you do, by going to Apple Podcasts, giving us a star rating, leaving a comment. If you're on other podcasting services, see if you can subscribe or follow us there or, or leave a rating. There's a couple other services that will let you do that rating thing. On social media, we're Dying Message Podcast on Facebook at Dying Message Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And that's where you can uh, hear about what we're up to and uh, find out about those new apps and maybe see some screenshots and other insights. And send us an email to Dying Message at gmail.com. I did a little bit of overkill in this episode with that as a joke, but it's also a real thing you can do because um, <laughs> we'll read your emails on future episodes.
1: And if you've drawn any art, uh, especially of Lupon X Zanigata, please send it our way and I will describe it on the podcast. Okay. I just got
0: an email back from a historian mm-hmm. and they were at a, a dig site in a small village outside of a big castle town in, in Italy. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the name of it because I would say it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, someone's shovel hit on a box and they opened the box, and inside was a QR code, which led them to a geocache. And inside the geocache was Lupin's calling card and our podcast. So they attached <laughs> it in the email and sent it back to us. the Third made our podcast the goal of an ARG. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I can tell people, come back next week. We're gearing up for Halloween. We're going to watch something spooky, creepy, gory. And have some fun talking about it. It's a full on legit detective anime style show. So, Drew, we've gone on this adventure together. We've packed ourselves into a car where you couldn't even breathe. There was so much counterfeit money inside. But now we've come home for the day. And we all just want to know why'd you go into an abandoned factory? And what did you find there?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, my, my friends and I in our, uh, you know late teens uh, early 20s somewhere around there you know uh a ways back i i think that the, the hardest thing is combating boredom you know on a on a thursday or friday night and so we a few of us went to this factory several several towns over and it's 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 dark it's 10 11 o'clock at night or what have you and uh Uh, it's it's all boarded up and we think well we're going to we want to go inside we want to see you know what this place once once was so we have to make our way up the uh escape on the side of the building and you know one step one step two step three step and then uh there's no four step five step i'm not even sure in my recollection if there's a six step there's there's like a, a several foot gap being you know fairly sprite the way we we were we're like well, well this you know <laughs> we're not going back so we somehow one by one all like jumped the gap and i don't remember how far up we were it was it had to be a good 10 20 feet potentially Oof. and we, we go up to the second level of the, uh, the fire escape and i think a, a few of us made it inside i, I don't remember going inside i remember sticking my head inside Uh, And one of the guys said it's pitch black and you can't see anything. And he said that uh, it was all covered in in, uh, uh, newspapers and, you know, animal droppings and and, and so on. Uh, But at a certain point in the floor, the floor went away and it was just it was just a drop down to the first uh, first level. And uh, so it was it was, it was. it was. It was a good thing that we all didn't like pile in there like like Keystone Cops because uh, it, it would have ended. You, you would have had to have had someone else talk to you on on the podcast today, presumably. Eek. So <laughs> that was sort of the that, that was sort of the end of, of that. We we made our way back down. I don't. Uh, my memory does not uh, allow me to remember how we made it back down. Uh, considering that we had had issues getting up with with the the missing stairs but somehow we i don't know know if one of us did like a human bridge or not but we we managed it and then we we went to a a a friend's uh house a a relative of theirs i want to say it was like an aunt or uncle and they they received us so it could have been that late now that i think about it maybe it was like it was after dark when we went there but it was still it had to be a reasonable hour for us to go over there and uh we asked them like oh what was this place and we thought it was going to be something I don't know, gnarly or interesting, something. Oh my goodness! So oh, that—that's the—that's the old, you know, McIntyre factory. They—they they used to make, you know, knives or whatever. And it was actually—it <laughs> uh, was actually a diaper factory. Hmm. Uh, it was—it was where they made diapers. Uh, I don't know if it was one of the major diaper suppliers of the region, but it, it, you know, a very practical uh, uh, sort of place. But uh, yeah, that's—that's that's what it was. And we—we we thought. Okay, well, you know, that it, it, I'm glad none of us got injured uh, severely or not over uh, a diaper factory. That's the
0: story. <laughs> yeah. The lure of exploring abandoned places, I've not really done much, but I've always seen those pictures on the internet and be like, ooh, that looks so cool. But when you describe jumping over the gap, I was just picturing Lupin jumping from rooftop to rooftop. <laughs> Were there, was there... The diaper princess was long gone by the time
2: you got there. The the no the 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 diaper royalty just in general had had vacated the princess. Ugh.
0: What was the what was the vibe amongst you afterwards? Was everybody like, "Oh man, we should not have done that. That was dangerous and not worth it." Or was everyone like, "Oh yeah, that was so cool. I'm going to remember this forever." <laughs> uh go team
2: yeah i i think it's as, as with everything it's it's somewhere in the middle i mean i still every once in a while will think about that night and you know that happened you know 16 years ago or what have you uh yeah i, I think most of us were, were a little a little chastened you know uh, we we had you know probably more more successful times i think there was a, a glass factory one time uh, but there wasn't as so much glass yeah. and we could actually just go through the front door so the, the, the level of, of immediate danger was, wasn't quite as as high. But I, I think we, we all thought, well, well you know, that, that happened. And, and then we presumably at that time, we probably either went out to a diner or, or you know, got, got fast food or something. And, and you know, just another, just another night. That's what
0: I'm saying. You go you, you go out to the diner and have cheesecake afterwards. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think we can all agree that, like, a glass factory sounds much more dangerous than a diaper factory. But <laughs> By its yeah. general nature, yes.
1: Yeah, you'd, you'd, okay.
0: rather, you'd much rather fall into like an old abandoned pit of diapers than an old abandoned pit of glass.
1: I guess uh, it depends <laughs> on the context. There's an important factor there. Are the diapers used? That's the <laughs> factor? That's the factor. <laughs> That's- You're not going to have used
0: diapers <laughs> in a diaper factory. That's where they're made. A diaper factory isn't a place where you fill diapers. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, there is, like, the testing floor, so there is, like, the one section. where
1: they. You think Mm -hmm. they employ babies? Yeah. (laughs) They squeeze the the baby, the poop falls out, and they're like, it worked. Or did they put diapers on
2: dogs? With the dogs, there's just as much chance that they'll try to, like, bite it off, too. So it has to be very, like, Mm -hmm. quick.
1: Maybe that's what you want to test for. You (sighs) want to know if they can be bitten off. Children are growing teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the
0: things that makes children so much worse than adults that children are growing teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? (laughs) And that closes the case on this week's Dying Message, the Detective Anime Mystery Podcast, episode 53, in which we save the podcast and destroy the podcast. Podcast cover art created by Miriam Bloom, music excerpted from Solve the Damn Mystery by Jesse Spillane. Thank you again to our mystery guest, Drew Cramshack. Coming up, What is the game of Laplace? Who is going to win in the sad and serious child competition? Do we want to know why it's called the human chair? All that and more when we next examine the scene of the crime for that fatal note. The dying message. I would
1: name a goat, Bill. Bill the goat. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) That's a thing. (laughs) Billy goat. Oh, there there are goats named Bill. You didn't make that up. No, I guess I didn't.
2: Or William. William is nice.